0: Well, friends, as we continue through this hour in worship, what a great reminder that we're in a sermon series in this Advent season leading up to Christmas, and the whole sermon series is on the topic of wonder. As we live lives, it is so easy to lose a sense of wonder, a sense of God in the midst of, Not only the great moments and the low moments, but also the mundane moments of life. And if you've missed any of these sermons, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel after this service, get caught up on this sermon series. And as we wrap up on Christmas Day, a great reminder that if you miss next week for any reason, you can get caught up and subscribe to our YouTube channel and not miss, not only as we wrap up this sermon series, but as we begin a brand new year together afterwards. Now, if you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter two. We're going through the nativity stories and the famous Christmas stories of the Bible, but also getting a sense of what it means for us to live lives of wonder today so that we can orient our lives to partner with God in God's work in the world, but also live in the fullness that God invites us to do so as we follow Jesus together. So this is Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read it for us verses 8 through 20, if you have those Bibles. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and you can follow along on that version or check along with other translations and see uh, the richness of God's Word. This is beginning in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is, my friends, the reign of God's word. As we say every week, thanks be to God. Now, it's remarkable as we look at this text, if you look back at verse 8, it says, in that region there were shepherds living in the fields. Now, let me just uh, paint the picture here. You have shepherds in the first century, Uh, in this region, and their home life is outdoors. Perhaps they've set up camp, perhaps it is a time of year in which they need to be under shelter that they've erected, but ultimately their living situation is very different than your living situation, and yet this is life for them. You know, we live in a culture today that perhaps you live in an apartment or a townhome or a home, and uh, if you get out to the fields, it's usually for a trip, It's usually for a vacation. Maybe some of you are campers, or some of you, you only glamp, or some of you, you want to, you know, rent a cabin overlooking a field. But the last thing uh, I think about when I think of the fields is my everyday, normal home life. When I think about my everyday, normal home life, I have my home, my address, uh, my kitchen, and my family room, and my living room. I have my bedroom and bathrooms in the house, the garage, the backyard, the front yard. I have the street in which I live, the, the, the city in which I live. And my home life is very different than your home life. And your home life is different than their home life. And the point that I wanna make is that the setting for this miracle was just in the mundaneness of life. You know, on one hand, you might say, that when things are going so well, when you are experiencing blessing after blessing, perhaps in your personal life, your professional life, and your relationships, those are perhaps easy, natural moments to thank God. If you're not so busy enjoying those good things to even think that God is the, the good giver of those gifts, as the book of James says that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father of of lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. So in the highs of life, it is very easy and very natural to thank God, especially if you have a perspective, a God-given, a biblical perspective that everything good in life is a gift from God. In the same way, in the low moments of life, when there's heartache, when there's loss, when there's desperation, those are natural moments to cry out to God, to ask other people, for prayer, to seek encouragement from the Scriptures, to seek encouragement from your fellow sisters or brothers in Christ. And so in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, uh, perhaps there's more of a natural inclination to thank God or to cry out to God. But I believe it's in the in-between time that requires the greatest amount of intentionality to cultivate that relationship with God. And it's in the humdrum everyday mundane moments of life. And I wonder for you, I think about for me in the last two and a half years, as we've moved through this pandemic that has swept around the globe, there has been a a shift in schedules. And yet with that, there was perhaps for some a greater sense of mundaneness. They were at home more. They were in a routine more. They traveled less. They got out to be with friends or to go out to restaurants uh, as infrequently as they did prior to the pandemic. And again and again and again, I've seen in people's lives, in my own life, this sense of, uh, of routine, of mundaneness. And what's so remarkable about verse 8 is that these shepherds, they were not on vacation. They were not on holiday. Uh, they were not at the temple This was not a big celebration. Uh, They weren't celebrating some great thing, nor was there some great loss. They were simply living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And I know you aren't a shepherd. You don't live out in the fields. Uh, Your nights are not filled with tending sheep. But I want you just to imagine your day from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And I want you to imagine the fullness of that day. And some of you, you know, you're watching this right now in the morning. Some of you, it's midday. Some of you, it's towards the end of the day. And yet many of us, we have the same routine. We brush our teeth at the same time. We put on our socks, perhaps in the same order, left foot first, right foot second, uh, or right foot first and left foot second. You know, we have these ways in which we move about our lives. Perhaps we go to the same grocery store. We take the same route to work. We don't mix it up. Perhaps some of us, we, we park in the same parking lot. Perhaps we have a rhythm of our life that we tune into a news program or a television show at night, or we have this sense that we wake up and we want to check something online or we want to post something online. We get to this book or get to that thing. We do these things. And as we move throughout life, God is present. And I wonder if we have anywhere in our hearts and minds, in our eyes, in our hearts, our hands, the sense of what God could do in these mundane moments. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage, but I also want to share just four things, just four practical things that I found that actually help me experience God in a very intentional way where I can grow my sense of wonder in the mundane. And it has to do with my head, my eyes, my heart, and my hands. So first, my head. You know, all throughout Scripture, it uses this word remember. You've heard me say this again and again and again. And I keep saying it because it's easy to forget. The word remember outnumbers the word believe in the Bible five times to one. The word remember outnumbers the word trust two to one. And it seems like God's people, like us today, were forgetful people. And our head, our mind can be uh, any which way, we can be thinking about a lot of different things and it's easy for us to forget that God is for us, that God is present, that God is our creator, that God longs to move in a powerful way in our lives. And when we forget those things, we can miss in those mundane moments of doing the dishes, of changing a diaper, of filling out forms, of sending emails, Uh, of cleaning the garage, we can miss in those moments that God longs to break into the mundaneness of that moment in the same way that God broke into the mundaneness of those shepherds living in the fields and tending their flock by night. And so I found in my life, if I begin my day and if I end my day remembering who God is, it's like the frame for every day of my life. Look, and I'm not perfect and I get busy and I get tired and I I stay up late and I sometimes get up too early and there's certain things that crowd into my attention. So this is not a daily thing that I've perfectly hit beginning and ending each day, remembering who God is. But I found in my life, when I begin my days and end my days remembering who God is, it changes how I view the mundane moments of my life. In some ways, it sets the day up. And in other ways, it ends the day enabling me to look back on the day that already transpired. In fact, I love how in Isaiah chapter 43, 19, uh, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he says this, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Again and again and again, we see throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, also known as the Old Testament, And the Christian scriptures, also known as the New Testament, we see God showing up in the midst of the most mundane moments of all. Jesus goes and talks to people while they're fishing. And the metaphors he uses are grain, mustard seed, sheep, a lost coin. The language that he uses isn't extraordinary that is so removed from everybody's life. In his teaching, in his language, in his revealing what the kingdom of God is, he uses the most common everyday elements of all. In fact, even when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he says this, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our Daily bread. You know, bread is as common as it could be. He didn't say, Give us this day our daily, you know, beignet. He didn't say, Give us this day our daily cheesecake. He didn't say, Give us this day our our, our daily tomahawk steak. He said, Give us this day our daily bread. And in the first century, the commonness of bread, these ingredients of water, of flour, of yeast to come together to make this thing that is known around the globe, bread is one of the most common staples. There's no planet on the earth that doesn't have some sort of and some form of bread. And he speaks to this language for us to understand that in the most mundane moments of all, God longs to do a new thing. And so for you and for me, there is this invitation in this Christmas season as things get busier, to start our days and end our days differently. I want you to think, uh, when you woke up this morning, what was the first thing you did? For some of you, it was hit the (laughs) the snooze, right? To keep sleeping. For some of you, perhaps you immediately went to social media. Perhaps some of you went to a news feed. Perhaps some of you wanted to check a comment or the recent level of likes on something that you created online. Maybe some of you, you opened up a book. Maybe some of you, you turned on the television. Maybe some of you, before you did anything else, you began to stress out about the day ahead, overwhelmed with what was about to happen. Now, as we begin our days, the tone that we set from the moment we wake up changes how we see, which will be the second point, everything before us. And I know that if I choose to begin my day before I get out of bed sometimes and say, God, thank you for this new day, I think of Lamentations chapter three. God, your mercies are new every day. Thank you for the fact that I get to wake up today. Even in thanking God that I get to wake up changes that morning routine out of mundaneness to see this is a gift from God. And as I get up out of bed, as I feel the aches in my body, as I brush my teeth, as I go through my normal routine, I actually begin to see things differently. I make my coffee and I begin to realize, rather than a zombie just pouring it and drinking and not even tasting it, because I start the day, and when I do this, start the day, say, God, every moment is a gift in this day ahead. As I drink that coffee, I I say, God, thank you. Thank you for the fact that I even have this roof over my head Thank you that I have this opportunity to to start the day with something that tastes good, that's hot, it nourishes me, it's got caffeine. But then I begin to think about even all the steps that brought that coffee into my hands. Look, and I don't do this all the time, but I'm telling you, when I begin the day remembering who God is, and I give thanks to God for that day, it changes things in such dramatic ways. And I begin to think about the farmers that cultivated those beans. I think about the people who, who roasted those beans, who packaged it up. And I can even in that moment say, God, I, I thank you. All these people have contributed to this little moment, this little cup of coffee that I get to enjoy. Every single one of those people you made in your image, you love them. I don't know who they are, but you know who they are. And I actually, in those moments while I'm sipping that cup of coffee, just for a moment, I begin to to pray. God, would you bless them today? Would you give them encouragement today? If they don't know you, would would they come to know you? I've got to tell you, when I don't start my day, remember and using my mind, thinking about who God is and thanking God for the day ahead, cups of coffee just go down and I don't think about it. I don't even taste it, I inhale it. I don't appreciate things around me. I can be short with my family, I can be short with myself. I I, I can get all the way through until like my first meeting on campus here at the church and then that's the first time I think about God. But something happens when I start the day remembering who God is. And I found that as I go to Scripture, that is a great place to start. The Psalms are a wonderful place, for example. If you're looking to grow in your ability to even read Scripture, there's a great app that's available online. It's the the Bible app. It's also called YouVersion, Y-O-U version, and they have Bible reading plans. And there's great Bible reading plans that you can look up by category, you know, on the character of God, on God's provision, God's strength. Uh, You can actually look at reading plans that have to do when you're uh, experiencing loss or joy or you have anxiety in your life, that is a great resource for you. And if you were to download it, perhaps start this new year ahead committing to just five minutes a day. Start small. It'll be the theme throughout this whole sermon. Start small in just remembering who God is at the beginning of the day. But also I found at the end of the day, before I go to bed, Before I uh, do anything else, uh, I I think back on the day that just transpired. And I ask God to help me see from God's point of view all the things that happened. And it gives me an opportunity to really see where I missed an opportunity to join God at work. Uh, It causes me to give greater thanks to what God had done throughout the day. And it enables me, and again, to bookend the day and to see, you know, 99% of the day is just the mundane. It's the commute. It's the routine. It's the cleaning. It's the preparing. Uh, every moment of every day isn't this high or nor is it this low. It, it, it's just the mundane. But if you begin and end your days trying to wrap your mind around who God is using God. Through Scripture, as a powerful tool, watch what happens in the mundane moments of your life. And the second is this, is that when we not just remember who God is, we begin to see things that we've never seen before. Again, going back to Isaiah 43, behold, this is God speaking, I am doing a new thing, now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I wonder how many times in my life or in your life that we've missed things that God is doing right in front of us, in our lives, in our relationships, with those we live with, with those we work with, that God is doing a new thing. But this question, do you not perceive it? I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I can be filled with so much uh, to-dos in my mind or anxiety in my mind that I don't even see what's around me. I can be driving on the freeway and there can be the most gorgeous sunset and I can completely miss it because I'm so wrapped up in whatever I'm focused on. Uh, my son can come next to me and can totally uh, long to be connecting with me with his body language. You know, he's kind of waiting for me to get off my phone and turn to him and I can completely miss it because I'm so wrapped up in that thing. I told the story recently to somebody who had called me up and I was preparing some... Uh, Uh, sermons on that day. And he just had a couple quick questions on how to better connect with his wife and with his kids. And as we were talking about uh, those things, he was saying uh, just in this season, he's been so racked with work that he's not able to really spend much time with his wife or kids. And so he had planned a really big trip uh, next year. And I said, you know, that's great. That's fantastic. So great to get away. But here's my encouragement to you is to aim smaller, And he's like, what do you mean, aim smaller? I mean, this is a great thing. We're going to go to Europe, right? that's a a great thing to get away with the kids and get away. I said, yeah, that's fantastic. But before you even get to Europe, it's not going to be until next year, aim smaller. Let me tell you a story I told him. My oldest son, Judah, he's 10 years old. uh, And my younger son, Barrett, who's five years old, quite a handful, so much fun, total gifts from God. And yet it is chaos in our house. And we have a routine, again, part of the mundaneness of our lives. Uh, right around 7.30 or so, my wife begins to put my younger son to bed. I'll join him at the very end and, and you know pray with him and say goodnight to him, maybe read him a book. But right around 7.30, my wife takes uh, our younger son off to his bedroom and begins to read and do his bedtime routine. And then Judah has this window of time from like 7.30 to 8.45 or so where he is awake, he's doing homework, sometimes he wants to watch television, sometimes he wants to build Legos, all these things that he wants to do. And I noticed about two and a half months ago or so, he began to say, every single night when my wife would put Barrett to bed, Judah would say, my 10 year old would say, hey dad, can we make some popcorn? And I gotta tell you, for the first two months or so, literally that long, I'd say, no, Judah. No, you needed to eat your whole dinner. No, 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 we, we, we don't need popcorn. It's a school night. And I would come up with all these excuses to say no to the popcorn. For some reason, I just, I don't know, I was kind of wrapped up in what I was doing in the moment. I just, I would say no, 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 no. But every single night, the same thing would happen. Every single night, dad, can I have some popcorn? No, 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 no. One night, I say yes. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I, popcorn sounded good to me. And I just said, sure, sure, let's make popcorn. So he goes to the cupboard, pulls up the popcorn, unwraps it puts it in the microwave, heats it up, pulls it out. I'm kind of, you know, busy, you know, responding to emails. And all of a sudden I hear a clink and a clang and he comes over and I realize he split the popcorn into two bowls, not just for him, one for me, one for him. And he's poured the popcorn into his favorite bowl for him and my favorite bowl for me. Now I got to tell you, I've been married to my wife for 16 years and uh, Judah has been my son for 10 years. My wife has never poured popcorn into my favorite bowl, even though I say, hey, can you, can you put it in this bowl? I like this bowl better. And somehow he noticed that and he poured it in my favorite bowl and he sat next to me. He handed me my bowl. He took his bowl. He never sits next to me. He always sits across or, you know, on the other side. He sat right next to me and he began to eat the popcorn And I began to realize in that moment, ah, this is about more than just popcorn. And there would be like a 15-minute window while Erica's putting Barrett to bed, the TV's off, my phone is upside down, email is away. We're side by side. My son and I would eat our popcorn and he'd tell me about his day. And all of a sudden I began to realize this little moment, this tiny moment, my son had been longing for, even if he couldn't put words to it the last couple months. But now that we were experiencing, I realized every time he asks for popcorn, I'm going to say yes. And so now every night we have this mundane little miracle of a window over popcorn where we get to talk he opens up I open up and I wonder years from now if when he looks back on his life he might not remember the big trips, all the details of those things, he might not remember the great things that I've planned but I wonder if he'll remember having popcorn with my dad and it took me seeing my son, who was a gift from God, wanting to connect with me, that enabled me to realize, oh, God is doing something in his life in this season. And he began to share things about other students in his school. He opened up about somebody who was bullying him. He opened up about some of his questions about God. And in these conversations, it was a miracle that I could have missed had I not seen that God was springing up something forth, a relational connection, a longing to connect with me. How many of these moments do we have in our lives that are right around us? It could be a family member. It could be a roommate. It could be yourself. It could be a coworker. Do we have the ability to slow down enough to see that God might be doing a new thing, springing up in our midst. Going back to the text, again, in Luke chapter 2, it says, In that region there were shepherds living by the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid for see.'" I love that. He doesn't say, and the angels don't see for imagine, or understand, or listen, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. Signs are foreseen, And a sign is something that points to, that signifies a greater reality. There are signs all around us that point to the goodness of God. And when we begin to have God's eyes on the world around us, actually, it becomes impossible to not see God everywhere. Again, when it begins with remembering, using your mind, guided by scripture to understand, for example, that every human being is made in the image of God, it causes you to see people differently, even the people that you don't like. It causes your heart to melt. Towards them to realize this is this is not your enemy. You might disagree, they might cause you great frustration, but ultimately this is a person made in the image of God, whom God loves, who God cares for, who God gave his sons life for on behalf that they would come to know him and as Lord and Savior. It begins to cause you to see the things in your life differently, that these aren't just Uh, trinkets. These aren't just things, you know, that you just collect. But ultimately, all these things have been made by someone, also made in the image of God. These are gifts that God has given you that you can use for the flourishing of others and for God's glory. You look at creation differently, the trees and sunsets and sunrises and animals and mountains. Ultimately, the psalmist says all of creation declares God's glory. You see, scripture says that everything in life is a sign that ultimately points back to our Creator. And those angels said to the shepherds in the mundaneness of their lives See, look, there's a sign right before you. Don't miss it. A child. Not a king, a child. Not wrapped in a royal robe covered in emeralds, wrapped in a cloth not in a Ferrari or a penthouse or a yacht, in a manger. Sometimes the signs that point to our exquisite, creative, powerful, majestic God are the most mundane signs of all. I mean, to think that the sign that points to the creator of the cosmos was a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And these angels are saying, look, don't think that you will only see God in what the world says is great. But look and see that right before you in the small things, in the little things, in the mundane things, God is doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? It goes on, verse 13, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place. You see, there's an opportunity when we begin and end our days thinking about who God is, reflecting and remembering on who God is. It changes how we see everything around us, but then it also prompts us to move in for a closer look. They had to go to Bethlehem to see for themselves. In my conversations with my son, I'm actually beginning to see him in a deeper way. I'm not talking about just his physical appearance, but to see into his character, to see into his fears, to see into his hopes, to see into his personality. There's people in your life, there's things in your life, even inward into yourself that God longs for you to move closer in and to take a closer and a greater look in the most mundane things of all. And what happens as we move closer, it can actually begin to fill our hearts. Not just our mind, not just our eyes, but it fills our hearts with wonder. And there is this beautiful and powerful truth that God longs for us to see this world as a world that is filled with the potential of love. And to summarize it this way, to say that all of life, can be lived to its full when you realize that life is all about loving God and loving others. That all of the law, all of the prophets, the entire Old Testament, all of the things that the Hebrew Scriptures point to ultimately is about loving God with everything. Your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself and not just your physical, literal neighbor, but anybody even who is completely unlike you, even your enemy. And so there is this movement where they get to Bethlehem and it's not just Mary and it's not just Joseph, but it is the shepherds whose heart is expanded with awe and wonder, with great love, not only for this child, but I I imagine that their heart is overwhelmed with love, not only for each other, for the circumstance, for the details, but also as they begin to share with other people, their heart is led with love towards them as well. You know, it's interesting. Jesus has this moment in the gospel according to Matthew where he's talking about at the end of time, uh, people will be kind of separated into two different groups. And this is, of course, a sermon for another day. But to make the point that Jesus says this, he says in Matthew 25, verse 34, he says, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. Jesus says, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And later on in that teaching, his disciples said to Jesus, when were you naked, and we clothed you? And when were you in prison? And when were you hungry? And when were you, what? What are you talking about? And then Jesus is saying so remarkable. he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And this remarkable reframing of every human interaction that you have for the rest of your life, every mundane conversation, every mundane text, every mundane email, Every mundane interaction with the person, you know, checking your groceries through (laughs) the grocery store, the person bagging your groceries, the person in line with you at the DMV, these mundane interactions, Jesus reframes and says, each of these moments is a holy moment because what you do to them, essentially, you've done to me. And your life isn't just filled with random, unimportant Interactions with other people. That actually every single one of these moments has the opportunity to be an act of worship, an act of love, not just for the person, but ultimately to your creator. And again, when you start and end your days remembering who God is, it changes how you see. And when you move in for a closer look, when you are in relationship with other people, you begin to realize that your heart's posture towards them is actually reflective of your heart posture towards God. And that all these moments in life, though mundane, can be opportunities for the inbreaking of God's kingdom, the inbreaking of God's joy, the inbreaking of God's peace, I mean, think about how different your meetings would be, your social media posts would be, your interactions with a stranger would be if you actually could go into those and look back on those as saying that in these moments, somehow somehow it's cosmic and it's mysterious and I don't understand all the details, but somehow how I treat this person is reflective of how I treat Jesus. I guarantee you, when we begin to practice this in our lives when our hearts are expanded towards every single person in our life, it's going to change your countenance. It's going to change your mood. It's going to cause you to be more humble. It's going to cause you to be more loving, more courageous, more forgiving, more merciful. It's going to change everything in your life. And i got to tell you, I can forget this so quickly. I can forget this so quickly with my kids. I can forget this so quickly with my spouse, my wonderful wife. I can, I can forget this so quickly with my neighbors, with my coworkers. That's why we've got to remember. It starts with remembering, beginning and ending our days. Who is God in this life that God has called us into? And the more we remember those things, again, just to repeat, we'll see things differently. And as we move closer, our hearts will be filled in such a way that it actually enables us to have hearts that don't just beat and love people internally. But that love is translated into action. and this is the fourth and final reality that our hands can be the context for wondrous miracles in the mundane. Now years ago I, uh, I had this friend, Nick Polidoro, and Nick uh, was a high school student that had come up through the high school ministry that I had overseen and uh, while he was in high school, he had d- demonstrated this you know, great love for, for automobiles, for motorcycles. Ultimately, he trained to become a mechanic and is uh, really a remarkable mechanic, working on Harley-Davidson, classic cars, and you know, just you know, a remarkable, remarkable young man. And I had this memory uh, as I was preparing for this sermon of this time years and years ago where I was telling him about my My squeaky brakes—talk about a mundane thing that you gotta fix. And he says, "Oh, why don't you come over to my parents' house? You know, I've got some of the tools. Why don't you order some brakes, and you know, we'll we'll work on it together?" Really? Yeah, let's do it. So I order the brakes, show up at his parents' house, and you know, talk about the mundaneness of a day. We're changing the brakes on a 1994 Jeep Grand Cherokee with like 185,000 miles mundane, okay? And in the midst of all that, we kind of do the work and we're chatting, you know, and his parents make lunch, and, you know, just kind of a normal day. And at the very end, he says, oh, let me check your, your filter, uh, your cabin filter. And I said, oh yeah, sure. And so he pulls it out and uh, I had purchased a year prior a certain brand of a filter that wasn't disposable, but actually a, a type of filter that you can actually wash and reuse and it's a little more expensive, but in the long run, much cheaper, but you gotta wash it, which I hadn't done. So he pulls it out and says, Drew, come on. I told you about this thing. You gotta wash this thing like every six months. So he takes it, goes to the driveway, fills up a bucket. And the way I'm describing this, I'm trying to describe it in the most mundane, true way possible, because this is about how mundane it was. You know, he fills up the bucket, puts the soap in, pulls up a stool, sits down. I'm standing there kind of chatting with him. And he goes to work on this little filter about this big. And he's scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing, flips it over, scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. And I'm watching this soapy clean water get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And in my mind, I'm thinking, great, he's kind of wrapping up and you know, I gotta get going, I gotta get back home. And oh, he was just starting. As he scrubbed and scrubbed and scrub as it gets dirty and dirty and dirty, he lays it aside for a moment and he goes and he dumps out the water down a drain, rinses the bucket out, brings it back, fills up water in a clean, now fresh bucket, puts soap in, and he does it again, puts it back in, and he begins to scrub and scrub and scrub. And I'm telling you, as much as you're bored right now, listening to me tell this story, I got so bored watching this guy, this friend of mine, <laughs> scrub. And clean this filter, and and I started to get impatient. Frankly, I started thinking, "What do you come on? You know, I got I got a place to go. You know, I mean, this is it's fine. I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, like, what do you? This is clean.' But I'm not going to say that to him. You know, and all of a sudden, I, I I I had this emotional roller coaster of first being bored, and then being upset, and then being frustrated, and then being impatient. And all of a sudden, something happened in the mundaneness of the situation where I broke through, and all of a sudden. I was in awe of this guy because I began to realize, this isn't his filter that he's cleaning, this is my filter that he's cleaning. And I began to realize, man, this guy is doing it right. And this guy really cares about me." And I started to talk to him about this, and, he's, and I started saying, "Man. How do you know when it's done? And he starts to describe the angles in which you can look at this filter and see more sediment. He says, you you know, you gotta get these, these corners here. It all builds up and he flips it over and he keeps going and going and going. And I think in total, I don't don't remember, he probably dumped out that bucket two or three times, ultimately cleaned it off, rinsed it off, dried it off, handed it back to me, and it was as good as new. And I made a comment to him in that moment. I remember this is over a decade ago. And I said, Nick, I never would have cleaned that, that clean for myself. I never would have cleaned that, that nice for you. And then he said something to me that has stuck with me for over 10 years, he says, how you do anything is how you do everything. And from that moment, it changed my perspective. And I don't remember it 100% of the time, but it changes every little and any little thing in my life that I would do with my hands. Doing the dishes. How you do anything is how you do everything. Everything. Cooking food, how you do anything, is how you do everything. Cleaning the garage, how you do anything, is how you do everything. Cleaning your room, how you do anything, is how you do everything. All these little moments of every day are the sum total of our lives. And how you do any little thing is how you do everything. And I'm so mindful of how it says in Colossians chapter 3, that whatever you do, do unto the Lord in your eating, in your drinking, in your working, whatever you do, do unto the Lord. And it makes me realize that the work of our hands is an opportunity for worship. And as a church family, we long to be a church at work, not just the work of the church, but what does it mean for us to be at the church, followers of Christ, the body of Christ, in the work that we do, in our directing, in our editing in our parenting, in our writing, in our woodworking, in our policy making, in our leading, in our following. Whatever it is, God says these are moments with your hands in the mundane moments of your life. Changing the new roll of toilet paper in this mundane moment is an opportunity to commune with your creator. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, of all the professions that he could have been, was a carpenter. Talk about a mundane profession. Of all the natural elements on the planet, diamonds, platinum, pearls, emeralds, silk, wood, I don't even know what year in the anniversary list the gift of wood is, but I'm telling you, it's not the 50th year, it's not the 100th year, it's not the 10th year, I don't know, is it even on the list? I mean, wood is like the most common element. And yet the work of the Son of God's hands was with the mundaneness of wood. And it's so fascinating, throughout his life, there are so many mundane moments where he tells his disciples, Fill up the cisterns with water. Talk about a mundane moment. Fill up the cisterns with water, and then he turns that water into wine. He says, Go and see how much bread and loaves you have. Check in the pantry. Turns that into five, feeds the 5,000. These mundane moments over the course of meals, miracles, teaching, miraculous things happen. Friends, as we move through this Christmas season, would you look in the mundane moments for God at work? Would you remember? Would you see? Would your heart draw close? And would the work of your hands be filled with wonder at the awe of God? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you come in the most mundane moments of our lives. It was shepherds in the field. You called fishermen, tax collectors. You meet us in the mundane moments of our life and you break in in powerful ways. Would you refrain how we, and reframe how we see ourselves and you and each other? And may this season be filled with wonder in the highs, the lows, and in the mundane. In Jesus' name I pray, we say together, amen.